You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumpacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. While you were skipping stones, building forts and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hello friends, it's Mark Tuminelli and welcome back to another episode of Little Me Growing Up Broadway. My guest today is a pretty incredible growing up on Broadway story. In 1978, she made her Broadway debut in Annie, a show that she was part of for over two years. She returned to Broadway in the revival of Fiddler on the Roof, as well as the national tour of Fiddler. She's appeared in dozens of commercials and voiceovers and regional theater productions all over the United States. In recent years, she created Inspired Evolution and is a master life coach and business strategist. She is the queen of New York. Everyone knows her and loves her and a good buddy of mine. Please welcome Stacey Brass Russell. Hi, Stacey. Hi, Mark. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for that lovely introduction. I'm so excited to be here with you. I mean, it's a short, it's a short introduction of a very busy and very full career and doing so many different things. So I'm excited to break it all down with you. And you do have one of the best Broadway debut stories I have ever heard. <laughs> so we're going to get to that in a hot second. But let's go, let's go way, way back pre-Annie. Okay. What were you doing around the house? Where were you growing up? Tell, fill us in on that story. Okay. Um, so I grew up on Long Island in Same. New York. And um I, you know, I, this is really funny, actually, all of my friends, when I was like seven, eight years old, they started going to take, you know, ballet and tap, you know, those classes where it's like a, a <laughs> you, you get dropped off and it's literally a half hour of each. So like, you know, you, you wear your ballet. Shoes I think they call it a combo class. Yeah. The combo it. class. Yes. So it's like the 30 minute ballet, 30 minute tap. And, um, and I remember that somehow I caught on to the fact that that's what people were doing after school. And I, I wasn't. And I said to my mom, like, why don't I take dancing lessons? You know? And so she enrolled me in the ballet and the tap. And I literally had never done any, you know, anything other than, you know, be a kid in my house. And so I started going to the local dancing school to the ballet and tap lessons. And very shortly after we started, like maybe halfway through, when they start thinking about the recital, um, they, the my dancing teacher actually, you know, and I was eight, right? I was eight or seven. I was seven. And then she came to my mom one day when she was picking me up and she said, you know, Stacy's Stacy can really tap dance. And she's really you know, got something. Yeah. But, but you know, what's so funny is my parents, my parents were so young, you know, they had me when they were 24. So we're talking about 31 year olds, you know, yeah. when I think about that <laughs> and so they're thinking, Oh, that's so nice. I mean, everyone's kid must know how to do tap and ballet. Right. So they were thinking, well, that's so great. Oh, thank you for letting us know. And then, you know, the, the teacher said, no, 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 she, she really can tap. I'd like her to do a, you know, a duet in the recital, which will involve, you know, like extra rehearsals and a, a, an extra costume and all of that. That extra and costume, so, that's how they get you, Stacey. Exactly. <laughs> and the extra rehearsals. And so, you know, the, my very first year doing, doing little dancing school, I was, you know, I did a duet in the recital and, um, and then that dancing teacher, 
is that dance teacher is actually the one who told me about French Woods. <laughs> which and was, all roads lead back to French Woods. <laughs> exactly. And so she's the one who said, you know, there's this sleepaway camp that, you know, a performing arts sleepaway camp, and you could go and and you could just sing and dance all day long. And, you know, so I, I went home to my parents and I said, Miss Jones said that there's a sleepaway camp that, you know, where you can sing and dance. And so my parents looked into it and they said, well, um, you know, you could go for three weeks or six weeks or nine weeks. And I was, you know, I was not, I was nine. Yeah. yeah. And, and I said, I'll go for nine weeks. Um, and what you have to know is that right before that, so Annie, Annie opened the, probably the year I started going to dancing school, right? Like in 77 or whatever, Annie opened on Broadway. And, you know, the way I tell people that are not of our generation, right? People that I talk to that are younger, I have to say to them, Annie was like the Hamilton That's of Broadway. That's exactly correct. Right? I mean, Annie opened and there is no word for like sensation. You know, there's no word that could really describe the impact it had on all of us, right? I mean, even just every little kid, if <laughs> I feel like in the world. And so Annie had opened, so I already knew about Annie. Um, and then the next year in my dancing school, they decided to make Annie the theme of the recital. Of course. And, and for the first time ever, they were going to have singing in the recital. And so what they did was they had all the girls audition. So this is the first time I ever had to sing anything. And this was like to, you know, be an orphan or Annie in the recital. And so I got, I got an orphan, they didn't really give me a name, but clearly well, you were I was, about to show them. Well, I was because I got to do You're Never Fully Dressed Without a Smile as a solo with a huge tap number in the middle. Great. And so, you know, at the dance recital that year, I, I was an orphan. I had this big solo and that was my first year I went to French Woods. And so, you know, I get dropped off at French Woods and it's, you know, 1970, it's 1978. I was, I was about to turn 10. So I was nine and they dropped us off. My parents dropped me off and French Woods was like hardcore back then where like, you know, the first day of camp with the auditions, you know, even if you were nine, you, yeah. know, like the, you literally I drop your duffel. same now. <laughs> is it, you drop your duffel off and like, you know, you go and, and it's the auditions. And I only knew tomorrow. <laughs> And you're never fully just that smile. Like those were the songs that I knew um, that I would sing. You know, I, my parents didn't get me an, you know, they weren't like, what's going to be in your audition book, you know? And so um, I go to camp and we have the auditions and they only did one show for the lower campus. Like the other show, camp, the, the older kids, there were like a few shows. And so you would get cast, you know, but in the lower kids show, they did one show and the show was Pinocchio. And so I got up on the stage for my audition. And of course I sang tomorrow and I'm not going to lie. I mean, I kind of like, like everyone was silent. Sounds (laughs) like like you were pretty good. (laughs) And so I got cast as Jiminy Cricket in Pinocchio. My first starring role in the first show I ever was in and I opened Pinocchio with When You Wish Upon a Star, you know, like in a top it sounds hat. Sounds like a very illegal production of Pinocchio, but we'll we'll, it, we'll put it that very aside well. For it right very now. well might have been. Um, and so, you know, so that summer was the summer that I was introduced to the world of like being in theater. And it was, I mean, it was transformative for me. And so that fall, the um I'm just telling you the whole story. That fall, the 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 couple that was that ran the theater department at French Woods, they had a a a school on Saturdays in the city called Manhattan Theater Workshop. And so all the kids from camp that lived in New York, yeah, we went on Saturdays for the full day. We'd get dropped off at ten in the morning and we'd stay till five at night, and we were there all day doing improv and dance and you know like a whole day of 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 stuff and. and they brought in a children's manager one day to do like a workshop with us to sort of talk about the biz and and do some sample auditions. And and so when they were there, you know, they asked for volunteers for who wanted to do the like mock audition. And I was here like, here comes Miss Fearless. 
Exactly. <laughs> I was like, I'll do it. And so, you know, I got up and of course I sang tomorrow and they, they, they waited for my parents to pick me up and they said, you know, if you want to bring her in, um, you know, we'd love to talk to you if she wants to audition. And they basically said for commercials. Mm-hmm. Right. And so they, they, we went in and we sat down and they said, so how would you like to, you know, audition for some TV commercials. <laughs> and I said, I just want to be an Annie. <laughs> and they, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they literally were like, every little girl wants to be an Annie, but, um, so, you know, we can't promise that, but you could probably start getting into commercials. And I literally was like, I really just want to audition for Annie. <laughs> and so that was kind of like the meeting and we left and, um, and you can ask me any questions now. I'll stop. Great. Okay. <laughs> well, no, this is so, I'm so on the road with you. Um, all right. So then when did the Annie audition actually come to you? Okay. So, so the interesting thing is that, so Annie was, you know, was still pretty much original cast. I think, I think that's um, Shelly had already become Annie. Shelly Bruce, past podcast guest of this yes. podcast. Go and stop right now, listen to her episode, and then come back to this one. Yes, please. She had already, I think she was Annie at that time. And they, this was when they decided they were going to do the first, the first national tour. And so, you know, I had said, we had said to the agent, you know, let us know when there's an Annie audition. And so they called, you know, around, this was, and this was, I had met with them early fall. So this was, you know, around November. I mean, mm-hmm. this was not long, you yeah. know, not long, November, December. And they called and they said to my parents, so there's an audition for the road company for the, for the first national tour. Um, we can send Stacy on the audition. And my parents were like, no way. Like, we're not going on a national tour. My parents were like, I have a little brother. You know, my parents were like, we're not going on a tour. And they literally said to my parents, you should take her anyway, because it's going to be a big audition. And the chances of her getting it are so small, but at least it'll get her like the experience and, you know, and get her in front of the people. That was kind of like their rationale. So my parents agreed to do it. And, you know, we, so we go to the audition and I always tell everybody because I was in the business for a really long time and I never had any audition besides my Annie audition that was like a chorus line. Like, like, like people go to the chorus, they see a chorus line and they think all Broadway show auditions are like on the stage of the theater, you know, with the director in the audience. And my only experience like that was Annie. That was my only, and I auditioned for so many Broadway shows, you know, in my life. That was the only chorus line level audition. So, you know, we went to the audition and there were girls and it was an audition that you needed. It wasn't an open call. Like you needed to be sent by a manager or an agent, but, but still the line was like up the block because in order to get in the stage door to the audition, you had to be measured. So the first thing was this like was height. on stage at Annie at the Alvin Theater. On stage at the Alvin Theater to walk into the audition, you had to get measured. Then you got you walked in and you were on the stage. Like so cool. And we were sitting on the stage, and there was the piano on the stage, the rehearsal piano, and you know, and then um, the, you know the everybody was in the audience. Martin Charnin and you know all the people they were in yeah. the audience, and. Um, and there were people running the audition. And so we all got, if you passed the height, we got, we were, we went in, we were sitting cross-legged on the stage, like sitting, you know, on the stage. And the first audition, the first cut was happy birthday. And it was in the very specific key so that you had to hit the belt, belt, the F. It was belt, the F was like, that was the first cut. So. And they just went down the line and had everybody sing it one after yep. another, right? Yep. Happy birthday, one after another. And that was, you either got kept for dancing or you got cut, you know. And so then we learned a little bit of, you're never fully just that a smile. And then they did it just like in Course Lane. We were like brought down to the front of the stage in groups of like four. <laughs> we were like, it was so like intense. And so we did that. And that was like a next cut. And then it was singing from the show. So then we started doing like pieces of, you know, um, 
we did I, we did pieces of dinner for just that smile and cut and I don't remember how many times we did back and forth singing and and dancing but then the final thing was 20 of us left and they lined us up in a row like on the stage and all of um, oh I forgot to tell you all of the parents were in the audience so all the parents were sitting in the audience just watching yeah, so they line us up, and this is hours. <laughs> this is like this is like hardcore, like hours of auditioning. Like, and so you know they line us up, and that was Martin came up on the stage, and he stood in front of each one of us one at a time, and you had to sing your little part of tomorrow. So it was like the first girl, you know, saying the uh-huh. sun will come out tomorrow, but your mind there'll be sun, and then and the next kid saying the next line, just yeah. thinking about. And so we did that. And that was it. They sent us home and we didn't hear anything. Um, And so my parents were relieved because they were freaking out in the audience when I was down to like the 20 last girls out of like, there was like 200 and something girls that it started with and they were freaking out. But anyway, so they were relieved. So we left and, um, and that was in like December. And then all of a sudden in February, my, my manager called and said, we got a call from Annie and they want to see Stacy back again. And this time it's for Broadway and they didn't say anything else. So like we go to this audition, my parents bring me, it's, it's at the theater again. It's on the stage again. You're like, that's the only way I really do Broadway. Exactly. I wouldn't for any time after that. I mean, if I got an audition for Broadway, I would say, is it, is it in the theater? Um, Cause I only do, I only do stage. So, you know, they brought me and this time there were only two girls there with me. So there were just three of us. This was like this callback with, it was a callback and it was just with three of us. And it was to be, um, it was to, to be an immediate, take over the swing. So it was to be the understudy for all of the orphans because I don't know who you've had on the show. You've probably had everybody, but, (laughs) but Jen Thompson who played Pepper, she had just gotten cast in little darlings, the movie. Oh my God. Yeah. And she was going to be going to film that like immediately for three months. And so the, the swing was going to be on for three months and they couldn't not have an understudy for the orphans. Like, so the, the understudy was going to be on for so long that they needed to hire a A replacement understudy for, to replace her. And so that's what this audition was for. And they brought me in and we, um, we did the same kind of thing. We, we did sing, dance, sing, dance, sing, dance. And this time it was with the stage manager and with the dance captain at the time, Mary Jane Houdina, who like I'm still in touch with. I love it. And, and, you know, and so that was that audition. But here's the crazy part. So our parents were still in the audience and there were just me and these two other girls. And after we did all this back and forth, they, Mary Jane, and I can't remember who our stage manager was. It might've been Patrick, but anyway, they call us over not with our parents, just the three of us. And they were like, you did so amazing today. You are all so talented. We saw everything we need. And, you know, thank you so much. And then they said, Stacy, we just need to speak to your parents before you go. And so they waited for the other two girls to leave. And this was just so nice, right? I mean, <laughs> they waited for the other two girls to leave. And I remember it was a Friday at like, six o'clock. Like it was late. It was, it was Friday evening and they, they waited for the other girls to leave. And then they brought me and my parents to the stage manager's console, like backstage. So we were standing stage left at the stage manager's console and they turned around to me and they said, well, kid, we think you'll fill our bill. And I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) We think you'll fill our bill. I remember. I remember the exact words. And my father went, what? And he picked me up and he put me on his shoulders. And then I remember my mom saying, like, we have to call her manager. But it was like 6 o'clock on a Friday. And they said, oh, they're closed. But we already called them and told them. And, you know, like, Stacy starts tomorrow. And what, what, I mean, obviously this is, this is like your dream. So it's happening <laughs> and where your parents just like, well, we'll figure it out. We're going to make it work. A hundred percent. I was the luckiest. I mean, I was so lucky. My parents just, 
you know, my parents were go with the flow. We'll figure everything out. I mean, when I, I literally, when they said you start tomorrow, they, I had never seen the show on Broadway. Oh I had only God. seen the tour in Fort Lauderdale when we were visiting my grandparents. You know, like like That's literally, wild. I had seen the I had seen the tour between those two auditions, and you had listened to the album ad nauseum. Oh my God, of course! <laughs> but literally, they were like, "She needs to come see the show tomorrow." And so, starting the next day, I had to go sit in the back of the house by the lighting booth on a stool and watch the show. And because I started rehearsal that following. Um, that following Tuesday. Now let's jump ahead a little bit. So you started rehearsal and you were just kind of learning all of the tracks the best you could, I'm assuming. And then let's let's talk about the night that you hit the stage finally. We're not talking jump forward very far. <laughs> we're talking jump forward one week. One week. <laughs> one week. So so I start watching the show and I go to my rehearsal, which is by myself, right? It's me and Mary Jane and the stage manager. And they what they had decided to do strategically was teach me Pepper. So that that's who Jen played, right? So the understudy was on as Pepper for three months. And so what they thought was the most efficient thing to start with was teach me Pepper first so that if, if she has to do to happen, another track, exactly, she all. could swing over yeah. and I would be Pepper. And so they start teaching me Pepper. So remember, I have rehearsal Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then we have two shows on Wednesday. So I don't have rehearsal. I'm watching the show yeah. Wednesday at matinee Wednesday night. I have rehearsal Thursday and I have rehearsal Friday. And then Saturday is two shows. And I, oh, and I, we didn't talk about that Sarah Jessica Parker is Annie at this time. Yes. So, so I, I show up for the matinee and I go to my stool. And, you know, also this was so new. My parents, we didn't have anything figured out. So literally every day it was like, who can take Stacy to the city? You and know, who can pick her up <laughs> eight yeah, hours was, later. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. You know, it was, it was stressful. Like my parents left me on matinee days and the stage managers had to like figure out how to get me food because we didn't have any child, like we had nothing. And so, um, you know, so I'm at the theater and so I have no one there with me and I, I go to my stool and I'm sitting in the back of the theater and the other orphans, their, most of them, their parents were at every show because a lot of the orphans were from out of town Mm -hmm. and their parents were just living in an apartment in New York with them while they were in the show and their parents didn't have anything to do. So they They literally watched, they, they watched every show. And so they would stand at the standing room only railing and they would watch the show. And so I'm on my stool and the show starts and the show's happening and hard knock life starts and within like the first like minute of Hard Knock Life, Sarah goes running off the stage. Sarah and Jessica just, Parker. Yeah. It's so obvious that Annie left. It's like Annie yeah. has left the room, right? Annie left. So she's not on stage. And the amazing thing, and I'm watching this. And the amazing thing is that Randall Brooks, who was the Annie understudy who played Duffy, all of a sudden she starts being Annie. Like she just starts singing Maybe. Annie's part. She just moves well, right doing, over. It's Hard Knock Life, right? She's oh, yeah. doing Hard Knock Life mid-song. That's when Sarah ran out, mid-Hard Knock Life. And so they're doing the song. They Randall just starts being Annie. I mean, she's just being – she has braids. She doesn't have a red – she doesn't have red short hair. Like she's just yeah. being – but she's doing it. And they go all the way through the scene that follows when Annie escapes in the laundry bag. They do everything until the scene ends. And then they bring the curtain down. And they and they make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen, please stay in your seats. The show will resume shortly. <laughs> so I get up and I go over to the moms and I'm like tugging on their pant leg and I'm like, what's going on? And they said, go back to your stool because <laughs> they knew that someone was coming to get me. <laughs> oh. And they didn't want me. They were like, be on your stool where they can find you. Right. And so I go to my stool and sure enough, within one second, one of the stage managers is like, come with me. And we like walk through the house in backstage. They, I, we walked across the stage to the orphan's dressing room. When I got up into the orphan's dressing room, there were like 
five, there was like a team there. There was a team and people were taking my clothes off, putting on my orphan costume, making my hair into braids. And Mary Jane was sitting in front of me with what they call the Bible. Remember like the giant book with all the staging. And she's sitting in front of me with the giant book saying, do you remember where you go when you go on for little girls? And over the loudspeaker, the show was back up and Randall was singing tomorrow, like in her full Annie costume and everything. We've, I mean, they made this change in like under 10 minutes. Um, and you, were you going to do Pepper? And then- Yes. Yes. So oh they, so, so- So everyone was shifting. Everyone shifted. And by the time, literally by the time, like- tomorrow scene was over and it was like Hooverville and I had to go be in the wings for little girls. I mean, it was literally like, and within, I I mean, it feels like it was within 15 minutes. I was on stage in little girls. It's so wild to hear you recount it because I can almost feel you feeling the, what that felt like. Cause most kids don't have that experience where they're fight or flight. The memory is so vivid. I literally remember standing in the wings in line with oh the orphans, God, like so to crazy. walk behind Miss Hannigan yeah. to go on stage for the first time. I, I remember it. I remember the first time I went on. And of course, your parents weren't there. So my parents weren't there. And this was obviously pre-cell phone. Yes. And so here's the crazy part. I So at intermission, <laughs> I went downstairs. So the one payphone was all the way down in the basement, which is where wardrobe was. And it was where the orchestra, like all the musicians like sat and hung out and smoked. I mean, like there was smoking in the theater and that's where the women's chorus dressing room was. And so there was one payphone, and at intermission, I go downstairs by myself. Like, it's not like anyone escorted me. I go down to the payphone and I called my house first and no one answered collect mind you right so i had mm-hmm. to ask the operator like i need to make a i like to make call. a collect call yeah and i call my house and there was no answer and so i call my father's store my father owned a, a, a store on long island and i call his store and you know and my father gets on the phone and he's like hi and i go and this is what i i went i'm on and there was silence and my father goes what? <laughs> and I went, I'm on, I'm in the show. <laughs> and of course, like to my father, I mean, he like, literally, I remember this too. He like started, like he made, like he went, oh, I heard him and he goes, my daughter's on Broadway and I'm not there. <laughs> like, I remember he said that. And so, um, so what had happened was that Sarah had, had, had hit her front tooth with her scrub brush so hard that she broke her tooth off. And so, so she had left and they found it. It was Saturday. They found a dentist to like fix her tooth or whatever. But at the time, the stage manager had said to me, we don't know if you're going on tonight. Like, we don't know if Sarah will be back or if you're, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, so tell your parents to come in. I mean, just in case you're going on. And so my parents like drove into the city, you know, to hopefully be there to see me. But um, Sarah, Miss Jessica had, Parker, Sarah is a Jessica Parker had gotten her tooth fixed, and she was back for the night performance. And so my first time on Broadway, it was three quarters of a show. It's a great. It's such a great story, um, and I'm sure it's like a pretty good metaphor for life. Like you can't expect anything. Sometimes you're people are going to miss out on big moments, but you just kind of keep totally rocking and rolling. And you know what the best thing is, is that um, years later, I mean, years, like within the last 10 years, I, so Randall, who, who went on as Annie that day, eventually, eventually I became the permanent swing and then eventually I became Duffy. So eventually I replaced Randall as Duffy in time. Mm-hmm. And so once we all had Facebook and all that, of course, all the orphans, you know, because there were not that many, there were not many orphans on Broadway. I mean, like, like in the whole run of the show, being an orphan on Broadway actually is kind of like an, like a kind of like a really small group. It's not. Yeah, it it is. Yeah. And so like, once we all started getting back in touch with each other, like on social media and stuff, um, Randall lives in, in LA now in California, but at one point, she and um, Janine Babo, who was who was Molly all, for a very long know, time, we all know Janine. And like, get her out of that show like, yeah, like all these people came to my apartment, 
one day, we had a, re, a little mini reunion at my apartment and I had just gotten published in this book about like I, someone had reached out to me and said, we're looking for great swing stories from Broadway. And I was like, I think my swing story is really good. So I had written that and they picked me. And so I got published in this little book. So when the gals were over, that book had just come out. And I was like, look, here's a book with like my story of my first time I ever went on. And the funny thing is, is that because I was nine or I was 10, I was 10. I always knew that Randall was part of that story, but I never, I never had connected with Randall on like her experience of the, of that story. And what I found out, like when she came over was that the reason she started being Annie in that moment was because Sarah ran off stage. And what do you do? What do you do when like you're in the middle of a musical number and someone leaves the first thing you do is look at the conductor, right? And our conductor was Peter Howard. He was the original conductor of the show, you know. And Randall said that when all the orphans looked over at Peter Howard, he had his baton and he didn't even miss a beat. And he pointed his baton at Randall and he mouthed, sing. <laughs> and he literally just like told her, he commanded her, like, start singing. Oh and so when I heard that part of her story, I was like, oh my God, like our story is so awesome. It's it's really cool. There needs to be uh, some sort of sitcom about kids on Broadway in the 70s, because I just feel like it's it's like a, a time before parents were involved in everything. And it was just oh like these kids being 50-year-olds doing yeah. Broadway shows. Now, you stayed with the show for a long time. You were in the show for two years. Yeah. Um, and you came in as a swing and then eventually replaced Duffy. And it was a big part of your life. How was the balance of like being a school person, like a normal kid on Long Island going to school and also doing the biggest Broadway show that every kid wanted to be in? Was that like a tough thing to to navigate? You know, I, my situation, again, I feel like somehow we had like this blessed thing because my parents were not stage parents. They, they knew nothing of, of, of being stage parents. And so they were just sort of like winging it. And so, you know, they never, it never even occurred to them that I would like be pulled out of school and get a tutor. I mean, a lot of the kids like had tutors, like, I think I was the only one that went to school even this other orphan, I'm not going to name names, but another orphan that, that was kind of local, she could have gone to school too, but she did not. Um, and so w- when I got into the show, my parents, I was in fifth grade. My parents called my school. And I mean, look, I was in a gifted and talented class. Like I was, you know, I was- No big, no big deal. <laughs> but I mean, it wasn't for performers. Yeah. It was just for kids for that smart were kids. smart. Yeah. And so, you know, they basically called the school and said, well, we have news. Stacy's going to be an Annie. And oh, and let's not forget, let's tell the audience that in 1979, kids did eight shows a week. Yeah, there was no. <laughs> we don't do, they don't there do that no anymore. There was no such thing as. There was no split weeks yes. or, you know, double casts. So, you know, they were like, well, um, so she can't come to school on Wednesdays anymore. <laughs> like basically, it was like, Stacy won't be able to be there on Wednesdays. Um, and then, of course, when I first started on Thursdays, we had understudy rehearsal. So, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, what can we do? And my school was amazing. My principal was amazing. They were like, we'll work it out. Like she, you know, and also my parents said, and she's going to be going to bed at like 1130 PM, you know, because I wasn't getting home from the city until like 1130. 1130 actually. Yeah. Um, and they were like, so she probably can't be there, you know, at like first 830 or whatever. And so they were like, We'll work it out. And so when I was in elementary school, I just I just went to school when I woke up. Like I woke up and then I would saunter in. And they basically were like, as long as she does all of her work and keeps up her grades, we're, we'll do whatever. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, well, they took care of you, but how were the kids with you? Were they like horrible Long Island kids or were they so, a yeah, mix of hard, both? Half and half. So, yeah. so when I first got in the show, when I was in elementary school with the kids that I had gone to elementary school with since first grade, when I first got in the show, they were like, oh my God, so like cool. it was, it was so awesome. And I used to bring them with me. Like I used to bring, like, I'd be like pick a kid and be like, they'd come in with me in my, in the car wow. and then they'd get to a, have a standing room ticket. And I, you know, so they loved it. They, you know, that was awesome. And my fifth and sixth grade were fantastic. Then. Dun, dun, dun. Junior yeah, high. Everyone's biggest nightmare. Seventh grade. <laughs> So, you know, that's when your schools merge, you know, mm-hmm. so like all of a sudden- So all the were, three elementary schools all go to the one exactly. junior high or whatever. And yeah. so the cool girls from the other school, they decided that being an Annie was actually not cool. And so my seventh grade and eighth grade were, I, I'm going to use the word tortured. And, you know, I opted to leave the show mid seventh grade because- I'm Jewish and all of my friends were starting to have bar and bat mitzvahs. And so I was getting these invitations to every weekend, sometimes like, you know, like both Saturday and Sunday. And there were all these parties and I couldn't go to any of them. And so there were a number of factors that went into my choosing to leave when I did. Um, One of which was I was getting to, I was just, I was going to be a teenager. You know, I was 12. Um, I was going through puberty. Secondly, my I was getting sick a lot because I was run down. Like I was, I was a really hard schedule. Yeah. I had a weakened immune system and, and, and I wanted to go to the parties. And I remember saying to my parents, I'm ready to go because I want to go to the bar and bat mitzvahs. And so, but I made that choice, but around that same time, it became evident that like things were not like things were not great for me, like in junior high, like my friends from elementary had new friends and they were in new friend groups that I wasn't a part of. And so even when I went to the bar and bat mitzvahs, I kind of was a little, felt a little outcasty and seventh and eighth grade were really hard. The the weird thing is that in eighth grade, I still was the lead. I I, I was the lead in the school musical. Which was what? So I'm trying to remember the order of things, but like during my junior high and high at some point, you know, they let me choose what shows I wanted them to do. Ooh. So basically, I chose Sweet Charity for my senior year of high school. So that oh, I that's could be charity. But I was Reno Sweeney. I was Charity. I was Nellie Forbush. All right, you did I, great in high school. I was. <laughs> I was the Kelly O'Hara. Sounds of, wonderful. I was the Kelly O'Hara of Lawrence <laughs> High School. Um, yeah. So so, but. You know, it was, it was, um, it was rough. It was rough. And it wasn't until, listen, my saving grace was French Woods, right? Because you went every summer. Every summer, except even in the first year that I was in the show, because I was the sort of swing, swing, I didn't work. You weren't consistently in the show until after that summer. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was in for three months. Then I had off a little bit. Then they brought me back when someone would be on vacation. So like for the first, like for the first nine months or or no, for the first six months, I was kind of like not full time. And so even in that first summer after I got into Annie, I got to go to French Woods for three weeks. That's awesome. And then I wasn't in it. I didn't go to French Woods for like the year I was full time in, in the show. But then right after, of course, I started going back every single summer. Um, and, you know, thank God for that place with all of my theater friends and where I was still. And I'm not saying that the life is about being cool, but life is about no, being where. And people understanding who you are and what you're excited about. And that's and what the theater kids And celebrate do. talent, yes. right? Yeah. And what's really interesting you know, I have to be honest with you, like, I mean, I'm 53 now, right? And I have done so many other things in my life. And now, you know, I'm a, I'm a coach and which oh, really we're getting there. Don't yeah. worry. But what's really interesting is that I have 
done a lot of deep, not, not, I'm not talking therapy right now. I'm just literally talking like in coaching and in yoga, we really look at like our minds and our, and our, and our kind of like our mindset and our, how we manage and master our thoughts so that we can continue to be successful and continue to see ourselves, you know, in, in, and, and have the visions of who we want to be in this world and, and live on purpose. And one of the things that I've, I've noticed or I've learned about myself is that I've had to do a lot of work around the idea that somehow because of those girls in junior high, I created a belief that if I shined my light too bright, that someone wasn't going to like it and I was going to pay the price. And I think that like in some ways in my growing up and my adult life, I can look back and see some ways that I didn't that I didn't shine my absolute brightest or that I didn't do certain things. And I don't even think it was, I think it was subconscious. I don't think it was conscious. But when I'm doing the work now as an adult, I'm able to notice why, why am I having this thought that I can't do this big thing I want to do? And then, and then when I really do the work, it goes back to this moment for the, when the first time it ever happened to me, that being really talented or being really shiny or successful, or being special or successful yeah. made someone else not like it. Well, it's, it's a wild thing to put a young person through to have that kind of level of success, um, to be in the Hamilton of, you know, yeah. and whatever that means, but to just try to be a normal kid while you have a job is a really hard thing. And a lot of kids are jealous and I've talked to child after child who have very similar experiences. So yeah. you're not alone, but what an incredible legacy to be a part of, because here we are many, many years later talking about this very special show and you being part of this very small group of women who got to do it on Broadway. And that's no one could take that away. It's a really uh, special feather in a cap that I would have loved to have done for just even one night. Listen, I agree. I I feel like what a what an amazing part of my life, you know? I mean, I've always felt that way. I know that like there was, you know, a movie that was made like two year, 20 years ago or whatever to, I was going to say two decades ago that, you know, had you mean a lot the 82 of movie starring one Aileen Quinn. No, no, not <laughs> what, the movie of Annie, about? but like there was a, like one of the, one of the girls. That oh, was the day after the tomorrow or whatever that he did is. like a documentary. Yeah. Yes, Gil and Cates's in that, movie. Yeah. there were like a lot of, a lot of negative like kind of reflections on like on, on, having been in the show or, or like their experience being on tour and stuff like that. And a lot of my, the Broadway gals, we've talked about how like that wasn't our experience, you know, like, and so I do know that we really had this very, very, very special, you know, this very special thing that um, it's, it's like a little sisterhood that, you know, and it really does have to do with like having been in the, in the Broadway company. I think it makes a difference. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, famous people used to come to the show and want to come backstage and meet us. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, it was really, there was is really a special. sort of when you have this moment as a kid that is, has a big spotlight around it, everything else in your life is going to be compared to it in some way. And obviously you were back on Broadway and Fiddler as an adult and in the national tour, and you've had a lot of career successes. Do you feel like, and we're going to talk about them in a minute, but do you feel like you hold things up to this moment of your youth that feels very special? Okay. I'm going to tell you something that I say all the time as a coach, okay? Because it's how I've lived my life, you know, after Annie, after other great successes, just like everyone else. I've also had a lot of, my father died when I was 19, when he was really young. Um, you know, I, I've had lots of other like transitions happen where, you know, I had a lot of hardship when I was in my 20s and trying to be in show business. And because my father had died, we didn't have any more money. Like we went bankrupt. Like, so, you know, there's all these things that have happened. Um, and I have consistently always been someone who has said yes to opportunities even if I didn't know how I was going to do it. And I've always believed that I could make anything happen or that I'm going to survive. Like this is going to sound so corny, but I feel like the sun will come out tomorrow. A song about resilience had to have had some sort of deep subliminal subconscious impact on 
my brain and who I am because I have lived the whole rest of my life as someone who anytime I've been facing adversity and I've faced a lot of it and hardship or struggle, I've always been someone who's been like, I'm going to figure it out. It's going to be okay. I know how to make things. I know how to do things. I'm talented. I'm smart. And I feel like my Annie experience is such a big reason why that's who I am. So it's not that I think Annie defined me or that like, that's my legacy or that I, you know, I've never done anything as great as having been an Annie. But what I do think is that experience for me greatly influenced my ability to keep, keep doing and being who I wanted to be in the world and keep overcoming and overcoming adversity and believing in myself. Because, you know, when I think back to that time, when I said to that manager, I just want to be an Annie. I never thought, I never, ever thought, huh, how could I be an Annie? How, how, how do I do that? I never thought, how come everyone else can have that and not me? That never crossed my mind. Yeah, there's something and, about being a kid who knows what they want and not questioning it that I think a lot of adults can use. In, all of us. Yeah. We, as we get older, we, we create all of these stories about how like so-and-so must be special because they're getting to do like something that I, I would like to do and I don't even know how to do that, you know? And I think that that my experience in the show was so spectacular in how it helped me develop into who I am. I'm not saying it had that same impact on everyone, but I know the impact that it had on me. And I've always looked at Annie as, you know, I've always loved, I love telling people I was in the show. I love telling people how old I am. I love telling people, like, I love, I think, I'm, I'm like, yeah, it's awesome that that's, that that's something that I got to do. And it has a lot to, it, it has, it has helped make me who I am today. And now when you get back to Broadway as an adult doing Fiddler, um, you did the tour with Theodore Brickell and then was Topol in it on Broadway? So, no, so I did the Topol Broadway first. Broadway first and then the tour. So yeah. to be back on Broadway as an adult with Topol in Fiddler yeah. must feel like, wait, I I'm here. Like I'm not just a cute kid who could tap dance. Like I'm a talented person that must fill a child performer in a way that uh, a a person just making their Broadway debut would never even consider. A hundred percent. And you know, it's so interesting because when I look back, I mean, those were my only two Broadway shows. It's not like I had this other. There's a lot of people (laughs) waiting in the street dying for one. And it's like, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So what I was going to say is I've always thought, oh my goodness, I was in two like iconic Broadway shows, right? I mean, because (laughs) Fiddler, you know, Fiddler uh, has its own other story, which is that, you know, when the the Topol production that I was in was the last, like one of the last Fiddler productions that Jerome Robbins, Jerome Robbins didn't direct us, but he oversaw he, he, yeah. it was one of the last ones that was still where they were like, it must be the original Jerome Robbins staging and choreography. We had a rehearsal with Jerome Robbins, Ruth Mitchell, who was Jerome Robbins' stage manager of the original Fiddler was our director. And like that show was meant to be a, a, a you know, a, a, a perfect replication of like of the original of, you know, really keeping all the original. And it was like a huge hit. That commercial used to be on Every it was a huge five hit. seconds. Well, I, I mean, Topol did the movie, movie before yes. Broadway, right? So he was already this like famous, you know, he, like people already associated him as like this famous fiddler person. And so, you know, so yeah, that show also had an incredible, you know, like, th- like being in it felt really special. It felt like a big deal to be in it. Um, and yes, I, I absolutely, I absolutely felt, um, that I was not, a, you know, like some kid that got to be an Annie by fluke and then, you know, and then could never be in anything ever again. I mean, that was never even a thought for me. I, I you know, I, I never thought I was going to do anything else. You know, I never, I, I went to NYU pretty much because I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, parents pay for the most expensive college so that I can stay in New York City. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it was like not even, it wasn't even an option that I would go to college somewhere other than New York because I would not interrupt my career. Cause even though 
I, you know, after Annie, I didn't, I, I took a little bit of a break from like, you know, going on a lot of auditions and stuff. But as soon as I was old enough, like when I was six, 15, 16, you know, and I had all these friends from camp that lived in the city, my parents let me go into Manhattan by myself. So I was going to Heinz and Hatchet. I was, I mean, I was a serious tap dancer. I used to take class with Gregory Hines every Monday night. You know, Maurice was our teacher. And That's we used wild. to go take professional tap every Monday with all the Broadway show dancers, me and my friend, Julie, we were 16, like two 16 year old white girls. And we would go to this professional tap class that Maurice was teaching. And I used to come into the city on, on the Long Island Railroad on Mondays after school and go to Heinz and Hatchet and dance for three hours. And, you know, so, so not being in the business was never, never even crossed my mind. I love it. Now, obviously you have the success you're working, you're doing voiceovers, you're doing commercials, you're doing, you're back on Broadway and Fiddler. At what point were you like, I want to focus on other things because you've created quite a world for yourself. I have. And it's super impressive. And, um, it's obviously something called to you to say that I have more to offer or I can, I can help a lot of people. So tell me a little bit about that transition. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I was making, you know, I worked a lot. I mean, I worked at the public. I did lots of great shows. At the, I was at the old globe. I, you know, I really got to You're work working. a lot. You were doing the thing. Yeah. But one yeah. of the things that I, I was really lucky about was that I really, there was one day that I literally, I remember one day I booked two commercials in one day. Like my agent called me and then Click two hours claim. later. Put money in the bank. Yeah. This is very yeah my agent was like, oh, you booked that one too. And, you know, so I went through this period where I was really lucky because when I wasn't working in a show, I had commercial and voiceover as another income source. And so that was wonderful. I I was like, okay, like I might not be in a, in a play all the time, but I have, I book commercials and voiceovers, you know? And so, so I'll be totally honest with you. We had the Screen Actors Guild strike that, you know, um, and none of us could do commercials and voiceovers. And that was in, what year was it? 90, was it 99? You know, it was like, so we had the Screen Actors Guild strike and commercial and voiceover stop. And so, and I had, of course, because the universe just, everything is in divine timing. I had just said to my agent, I don't want to go out of town because what was happening was I was booking all these like really good regional theaters, but I was away so much. So I was missing all the Broadway auditions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, literally I was like, I'm a Broadway person. So if I'm not here to audition for Broadway, how am I going to be in my next Broadway show? So I need to not do all of these out of town. I just want to stay put and I want to audition for only big stuff. Okay. So, so meanwhile, I feel like I can afford to do that because when I'm in New York, I book commercials and voiceovers, right? So cut to I'm here. It's harder to book a Broadway show than it is in a regional theater. I mean, let's just be real. And so here I am. And now there's no voiceovers and commercials. So what do I have to do? I have to start like having money jobs and I'm catering and I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things to make money and I'm miserable. And I start practicing yoga. When I was at the old globe, I started doing yoga and I come back to New York and I'm like all into yoga and now it's the strike and blah, 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 blah. I decide, I bet you I would be an amazing yoga teacher. <laughs> so I was like, I could teach yoga. I would love it. And I could make money teaching yoga instead of waiting tables. And so that was like how my first like shift was. I became a yoga teacher not thinking that I was going to like leave the business, but I became a yoga teacher. And, you know, I, I alluded a little bit to like that my twenties were like a little rocky with like finances and whatever. And I had a lot of debt. I, I was responsible for the debt that my parents took out on my student loan from NYU and no one paid it off for me. I had all this stuff going on. And, and I thought I'm going to teach yoga. I'm going to make money until I get my next show. And I start teaching yoga and like, I was like an overnight sensation. Like, you know, look, I mean, it's true people listening, like everybody who teaches yoga knows you, you are like the yoga queen. But, but the other thing is like teaching yoga, if you're like, what makes a really great teacher is that you have to hold the, you have to be able to like 
hold the space and you have to be able to like create an experience. And when I was teaching yoga, I felt like I loved producing my yoga classes. I would make these like incredible mixes. And, you know, my favorite thing was like adjusting the lighting and having it start to get dim as we were ending class. And I, you know, I just, it's very theatrical, like to give someone that experience, to let them come into a room and escape for 90 minutes and be taken on this journey in their body and their breath. And in a lot of ways, I was using all of my same skills and gifts that I use as a performer on stage. And so- I became really popular. And you know what? What happened was, and I'm not going to lie, I was I was a little tired of the business by now, right? Because I, I, we all have our stories. You I mean, and I my shared, story is like identical. Yeah, so but you and I, I mean, shared, not quite. But, but we've shared yeah. our stories about the things that we were up for and didn't get or the auditions that like you could, you know, I was at the point where I was like, why am I not going? Why is my agent not able to get me in for X, you know? And I was waking up every single day exhausted by the business because it felt like it was no longer just about being talented. It felt like there was a lot of BS about how to get auditions. There was a lot of politics. And I was feeling like I've been in this freaking business for, for two decades. I should not be having a hard time getting into the room to audition for something. And so what happened, and I think everyone listening, this is just the way the universe works. Your energy, you know, where where you put your energy and your focus is what's going to manifest, is what's going to grow, is what's going to expand. And I started really focusing on on making money in the yoga world because all of a sudden I saw this path to like stability and to like having my own apartment, which I was 33 years old and I had never had my own apartment. I had only ever shared apartments or sublet apartments or slept on couches. And all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I'm 33 years old. I want an apartment. Like I don't want to keep living like I'm a starving artist. And so it was kind of accidental. I actually did my episode of Law and Order SVU literally the week I graduated from my yoga teacher training. (laughs) And while I was teaching yoga, here's the cool thing that happened was once I paid off my debt and I was like getting really successful living in New York, all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to rely on other people to let me audition. I'm just going to hire my own musical director and I'm just going to start working on the music I want to sing because that was the other thing that was happening was, you know, I was getting auditions for shows and I would literally say to my agent, but that's a, that's like not how I sing. Like, I'm not right for that part. And she'd be like, oh, are you going to tell Johnson Liff what you're right for? And I was like, kind of, because I'm going to have to go in that room and sing and feel really stressed out because I actually don't sing like that part. And so all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I could sing what I want. I could just work with someone. And I started singing, like not auditioning. I started doing my own show. I performed at the Iridium. I performed at the Lori Beachman Theater. I was singing with a big band that was playing in jazz rooms. And I was like doing my thing. And it felt like this is how you evolve. This is how you go from now. I don't like not being in control. I don't like being a feeling of like a victim in the business. So now I'm going to figure out how to use my talent and to do what lights me up and what I'm so amazing at I'm going to do it in another way. I'm going to create it for myself instead of feeling like I'm dependent on other snarky people who are miserable because they couldn't be performers deciding whether or not I can audition for something. So yoga, life coaching, singing your stuff. Obviously, you're bringing joy to yourself and bringing joy to other people. And I know your life coaching business is like kind of killing it. And you do so many amazing like seminars and things that help people. And just talking to you right now, I'm like so inspired. But I help people do what we're talking about, right? Ultimately, like eventually I owned a yoga studio after I was just a teacher. So I owned a, I owned a small business. And what I discovered, and this is also what I want everyone to hear, life works like this. Sometimes something is amazing and it's going really well. And then you don't need to know why. <clears throat> For whatever reason, Maybe you outgrow something or maybe maybe you realize that you want more or maybe you're no longer being satisfied by something you used to be satisfied by. And when the universe is kind of putting that in your path, 
you get to decide how you would like to evolve. You, you don't, it's okay if you, if you decide that you're going to shift gears and do something else. And so when I was owning the yoga studio, one of the things that happened over that seven years was I started to slowly feel like I don't think this is really where I'm supposed to be. I started to feel limited. I started to feel like because I was owning a small business with two other business partners and I was beholden to them and the business, I stopped singing. I stopped performing because I didn't have time and I couldn't put my focus on that while I was running a small business in New York. And when my heart was like, okay, do you want to turn 50 owning a business that you're not happy in anymore, feeling like there's a cap on your success, feeling limited, feeling like you're now working with two people that no longer feel aligned. Do you want to push through that because you're going to tell yourself the story that too bad, it's too late, you're 50, this is it, this is your destiny? Or are you going to do what you've done every other time in your life and said, how can I use my gifts and my skills and my intelligence and my life experience and all of the amazing things about me and do the next thing. And so I did that. And now I help other people do that because I help other people be successful using their gifts and skills when they think that they've gotten to a point where they can't have success or where they are not making it the way that they're doing it. And I help people to see possibility and I help them to see that all of why I'm so successful right now, part of it is because I was in Annie. Like I'm not saying because people want to work with me because I was in Annie, but my point is we have to look at ourselves and our evolution and all of the things that make us who we are. And we have to keep moving forward with that. And we have to keep putting that out into the world. And everyone who I work with is a creative person who who cannot be put in a box and who has never fit in to being corporate or whatever. And I help people to step into their fullest potential. I love it. If someone wants to work with you and be part of the Stacey Brass Russell circle, how do they do that? Well, they can obviously find me on social media. I mean, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, but also I have a website. It's www.stacybrassrussell.com. It's a beautiful website with a lot of good information, people. Oh, Stacy Brass Russell, you are a dream. I love what you're doing now. I love what you did then. I love who you are. I love how much joy you have in the world. So we're going to do some quick fire questions yes. and wrap up our episode. Are you ready? Okay. I am. Okay. What was your first audition song? Well, we talked about that. It was tomorrow. <laughs> first Broadway show you saw? Well, besides Annie. I, I mean, mean Annie was that was the, the first, first time show. you saw a Broadway show? Yes. And then wow. the next Broadway show I saw, ready for this, was the invited dress rehearsal of Avida because Sarah Jessica Parker's littlest Little sister. sister was in it. And we got invited and I sat at the invited dress rehearsal of Avida and saw Patty Lapone play. That Evita. is so, so cool. Yeah. And then that little Jessica Parker sister left and Allison Smith replaced her and then came over to you guys at Annie, which yeah. is crazy. Which leads me to my next question. You who is your favorite Annie? Oh, that's not a good question. It's absolutely a great question. <laughs> oh, my God. You have to answer it. Who's Listen. The, who's your favorite uh, Annie? Okay, I'm going to tell you that, of course, it's Sarah because she was my Annie when I came into the show. I mean, I have a really close bond with Allison Smith, but but Sarah, I used to sleep at Sarah's house. Like, Sarah, Sarah was my Annie, and I have to tell you that, like, I – Look, Andrea, when, when Andrea sang tomorrow at Martin's funeral, I was like, how is this woman, how does she, how does this voice still sound like that? But I have to tell you, I loved Sarah's voice. It was so different than Andrea's and I loved Sarah's voice. So, so well, I'm going to go Allison Sarah Smith because said she was the same thing, thing that it's, okay. it's Sarah Jessica. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. What is your go-to album for a car trip? Does it have to be Broadway? No. Oh, it's ninety nine percent never Broadway. Okay, it, it it's my sign of the times. My I, husband and I are like massive Prince Prince fans, so it. it's sign of the times. Who do you talk to most from your Annie days? Um, I would say 
you know, it's, it's funny. I've been talking a lot more to Danielle Brisbois. Like she and I talk, talk a lot, but from my Annie days, I think it's like equal with like Karen Schleifer and Randall Brooks and, you know, like those are, those are, and oh, oh, and Jen Thompson and I, in our adult life, we got cast in a play together and we showed up to our first day of rehearsal and we were in a show together and then she married one of the guys that was in that show with us. Oh my God. So yeah. Well, you're going to love this next question. What musical would you like to do with Patty Lapone? We always have a Patty Lapone question on this podcast. Oh, you do? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, what show would I like to do with Patty Lapone? Um, I kind of feel like Patty and I would be, could be really, really great in And the World Goes Round. I'm pulling out like a major, like, love, like kind of obscure show. No, but it's I think, good. I think okay. it's a good choice. Have you ever left a show at intermission? Yes. Okay, you don't have to tell us what it is. Nope, no, I won't I'm... tell you, but you know, it's really, I'll just tell you really quickly. When my husband and I first started dating, one of the first things we did was we went to see a show that we both were hating and I, we stayed. And after that we had the conversation cause we were early <laughs> in dating and I was like, you know, and so anyway, we had agreed that from then forward, if we really didn't like being at a show that we would leave and we don't leave often, but we have left. It's, a few. it's important to, to yeah. know your limits. Yeah. Um, my every once in a while, my husband looked over at me at one time in in like almost 15 years. In 15 years, he was like, I cannot watch this anymore. And he left intermission. The great comment. Okay. Um moving on. Oh, that's a tough one for me too. Okay. Last two questions. What movie can you watch over and over again? Uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, so good. Um, yeah. and what advice do you have for young performers? I have the advice for young performers to believe in yourself. That's first of all. Um, second of all, I, I mean, I know you asked one advice, but I think that like a really, really important, important thing is to find your tribe, to be around other. So because it's such a competitive, it can feel so competitive um, and, you know, and auditioning can feel so competitive. And I think that finding the group of people, the way I think that my summers at French Woods were so, I mean, those are people that I'm still really good friends with. And I think that finding that, that group, wherever it is for you, whatever your little, you know, musical theater is thing is, or go to your acting school or whatever, but find your tribe and find people that you want to support and that you believe that they're talented and that you can celebrate. Um, and so that you're not just always thinking like about yourself and in competition. I, I am so, it's such a joy to get to chat with you. And um, I hope you all love this episode as much as I did. Stacey Brass Russell, you are a dream. Thank you so much for being with me today. And remember, everybody, if you love the Little Me Podcast, follow us at Little Me Podcast on Instagram and follow me at Mark Tuminelli on Instagram. I will be back next week with an all new episode. Stacey Brass Russell, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yay. Yay. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me and follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. <laughs>